This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got looks. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad girls who read. Welcome back. Welcome back, sad girls. Hi, sad girls. We are coming to you on a Friday night, and we have exciting news. We figured out how to work the microphone. It has only been weeks. We are not tech girlies, and our producer Donnie has had to talk us through, lift us up, hold our hands, and we finally figured out how to record with two microphones. His text the other day that was like, ladies, what is going on? <laughs> because he needs to be able to edit us because we have a tendency of talking at the same time. If you couldn't notice, we'd like to talk. So this way, now he can edit if we're speaking over each other. I also feel like I talk so much louder than you. No, Should you I don't. like tone it down or should I talk really loud? Tell me. This week, we are talking all things Beartown by Frederick Bachman. It's a book that shocked the both of us, to say the least. At first glance, it's a story about the importance of a boys hockey team winning for a very small town. But that's not actually the story that matters. An extremely violent act destroys the life of a young woman and leaves the town in turmoil. We'd also like to issue a trigger warning. This episode contains discussion about sexual assault. So if you are listening and you feel triggered or you just know that sexual assault or sexual violence is something that might be difficult for you, it's okay to take care of yourself. You don't have to listen to this episode and you can come back for our next book. So Allegra, first impressions, what are your thoughts? Okay, so Erin picked this book, and we wanted a really feel-good book this week. We wanted something lighthearted. Because we've been sad. Feel good. And at first when I was reading, I have to admit, it took me a little while to get into it. I was like, okay, this is about a hockey team. It's a small town. It's kind of cute. Like, I need something a little bit more gripping. And then I got to a part, maybe it was around page 80, where there were jokes being told in the boys' locker room, like Mm. rape jokes and other horrible jokes. And I was thinking to myself, I really hope this author did not write this book and not know that that was inappropriate. And it almost stopped me Mm -hmm. from continuing to read. But then I did. And I've got to say around page like 140 or so. Yes, exactly. It was shocking. It was gripping. And that is when the real story started in my eyes. But at first I was like, oh, Erin. Why'd you pick this? And to be fair, like when I suggested this, I did not think it was going to be what it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like Friday Night Lights. But feel I'm glad good. that it was what it was. Same. But wow, it, it shook both of us. Oh, like I remember getting to the part and being like, oh, this is what the book's about. You were telling me you grew up playing sports. I was awful at sports. Why were you awful? Are you kidding? Look, <laughs> Tell me look, look at me. I played field hockey in middle school is that like the mean girls sport i wanted to be like a cool girl i was not and i was so bad at field hockey i would be put on like a minute a game and (laughs) they said 
Give her 30 seconds. Said, we got to just, just keep her there. She's trying hard. It was so bad. I, ha- I remember having the ball. Like, I'll never forget this. I had the ball and I was running full speed. And my mom was in the stands like, go, Aaron, go, Aaron. I was of like, course yeah. your mom was. What an of icon. Of course, right? Thank you, Paula. I love you. And then all of a sudden the whistle blows and they grabbed me by the shoulder and they were like, Aaron, you're running the wrong way. <laughs> And that was the end of Aaron's professional that was sports the career. End of my career. And then I started doing plays instead because I was like, I think I'm we more all of the have creative type. But wait, you did actual sports. I feel like you would kill sports. I'm so, I am so like I get I feel like you're competitive. Embarrassed talking about Why? it. I just it's just it's such a different life for me. Oh. I played soccer from honestly the ages of four to eighteen. Holy so it was shit! Fourteen years. I played really competitively. I was on a top five team in the nation. Okay, y'all traveled is like a soccer icon to like multiple states to play tournaments. Guess what position I played though? Um, uh, forward. Oh, honey, what? I was the exact opposite. Backward. Goalie. Goalie. I know it was a different lifetime. Okay, I fully was like diving through the air like i was the goalkeeper did you have like a full padded like you know i actually think about this all the time especially with you break i don't think about this all the time i never think about this but with you breaking your sacrum it's made me think and like when i went skiing how afraid i was to get injured no i just had shorts and like a goalkeeper top in my gloves and i would fully dive through the air like at practice they would set up like huge hurdles that you would have to literally leap through the air and dive over That's and land. Awful. I did that countless times every day. I hate I injured that. myself a couple of times, but like thinking how physical the sport was, but I, I think I'm embarrassed now to say that I was a goalie because I feel like people look at it as the more like manly position and oh. I wasn't like the skinniest and I didn't like to run. I feel like all of that is wrapped up. I hate running. I hate running. I used to throw up at field hockey when I had to run. <laughs> Like no, and it was like less like than a mile. Passing to the other team. I was throwing up. So. You were puking. Sporty said, spice over here. It took up every single day of the week for me mm-hmm. for years. It was my full identity. I didn't develop like other kids and teenagers did because the only thing that I knew was soccer. And wow. I think I was. I think I did like it at one point. There's a part in the book. I think you wrote this quote down. The reason that all the kids love it so much, the silence of it all. They talk about how they just forget all their shit and they're just in the present moment, in the game. And yes, and there was another one, though, that you said that was something like, we have to remember why we even liked this thing in the first place. Page 57, Peter says, it's hard for a lot of people to remember the reasons why they started to love the thing they love. Okay, so that was 100% me. Yeah. I feel like I loved soccer at first, and then I think that I was almost brainwashed into Mm. loving it. I think my parents, and especially my dad, wanted it so much more than I did. And I look back, and I just think, God, I lost so much of my youth to that, and it destroyed my mental health. I am such a big advocate for for making sure that the kid actually wants to play that sport and it's not the parents who want it more than them and even if they do want it more than their parents making sure that their mental health is being taken care of along the way because making your whole identity something like the way that it was in bear town is so detrimental if you lose you are a loser if your team loses you are a failure you are fundamentally bad yeah you can't separate yourself from the sport and i got to that point where my 
I mean, we'll we'll talk more about it, but like I would almost wish sometimes that I wouldn't play. Like I would wish that someone else got put in the game because I was so anxious. I didn't want to play because my anxiety was that bad. That really gives insight to how some of these kids are feeling because you could really put yourself in their shoes. I have no idea besides that my field hockey moment. Besides my but my was, moment of shine. I was so bad like I, that it It's it almost was... good to be bad though. Mm. It's like not good to be bad in the sense of like you probably yeah. wanted to be better at it, but like let people People just have fucking fun. And let them be kids. Right. And these kids were not these allowed kids were to be not kids, kids because... They were products. And everything was depending on them winning. It wasn't just the game. If they won, they would get sponsors to pay for a new school, to pay for a new rink, to pay for... An, they would they would expand their town. So their whole town was waiting for them to win. It wasn't just about the game. And you know what? That is how it is for so many kids who play sports. Oof. Like, not only are you playing because you love it, but then you're playing because... And this is how it was for me you're expected to get a full ride at a d1 school so then your parents don't have to pay pay for your college and then if you don't get that full ride you have fucked up and now your parents have quote-unquote wasted money on you and I felt so much of that pressure and I wrote this quote down on page 257 it says you can't ask parents to devote their whole lives to their children's sport risk the family finances and then expect that passion and never to overflow occasionally gosh this book's spoke to me in that way. Yeah, you really, you've been there. I, I I didn't even think about how high that pressure was. It's awful. And I know that so many people love sports, but I have to say a lot of people that I know who played competitively had a massive identity crisis when the sports stopped. Of course. Robbie in the book, what did he say? Like, it's a strange moment when the best thing that will ever happen mm. to you happens at age 17. He peaked at 17 and then he became an alcoholic. And it's so false. I was not myself when I played soccer. I to say my life got infinitely better, but I never saw it as that. I thought that not playing soccer was the end of my life. I can understand that. It's what you were doing for so long and everyone around you was screaming that this was the end all be all. Winning, I remember. It's not funny, but it actually is hilarious. Our high school team, so I'm not going to explain the intricacies of sports, but if you get it, you get it. There's club soccer. I played club soccer Mm -hmm. year round. And then there's high school soccer. You have to play for whatever high school team you're at. It's not like Beartown. You could, you know, get like your high school is just your high school. Our high school team fucking sucked and we lost one game like obviously we lost we lost every game we were laughing on the bus like cracking jokes and our coach stands up and he's like after that game i don't think there's anything funny we can find and it's like babe we're kids s- sit the fuck down coach <laughs> yeah. Peck. like we lose every game but like that's how important like you couldn't even laugh on the bus after the game because wow. there's nothing funny about losing <laughs> so there was pressure from coaches scouts, family members. And I think I felt a lot of financial pressure. I was told that they were, my parents were paying for this sport for me and it needed to pay off. And I know you wanted to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I really resonated with Amat. I I (gasps) love Amat. Our sweet little Sweet, sweet Amat. He was the smallest and the quickest. And by and golly, the, the cutest little nugget. I just loved him. I just pictured him the whole time, just like this little, like, I'm going to go four footer, <sighs> like a four foot little guy on the ice, just With like a big smile. It. But what really stood out was all these kids have been playing and all their parents like know each other. And his mom works as the cleaner of the rink. And there was a quote on page 10 that said, there's an obvious difference between the children who live in homes where the money can run out and the ones who don't. And how old 
old you are when you realize that also makes a difference. And that is so true. Just like the feeling of being without or feeling like you're not enough, especially financially, is such a strange thing for a child to And a child should know that. Yeah. He obviously knew that. And I think Amat loved hockey, but I also think they're very aware of what this sport does for others. Mm-hmm. And from what you read... Amat not only wanted to play, but he wanted to play to take care of his mom. I know what it's like to be with just a a mama and want to take care of her, but he was too young to feel that responsibility. It really broke my heart. But it was also so special, the relationship Amat and his mother, because she didn't have money, but she could give him her time. And she was at every single game cheering for him. She was so proud of him. The pride in her eyes like made me tear up every time. I know, when she looked down and saw that he was on the ice with the junior team. And he was practicing every morning, himself he didn't have to do that and she was just so proud of him on the opposite end we have kevin whose parents never run out of money they are the richest people they are sponsoring the team yet we don't see them at one game they think they can buy his love that's exactly it they left him in the parking lot for the like how big this junior semifinal was for the whole town and kevin turns around and sees his parents driving away my heart so you're supposed to like how do you reconcile that this is the most important thing to this town but it's not and i'm not even important enough for my parents well their money is what's most important and i think that played a large role in how kevin developed as a person i'm not saying i'm excusing any behavior but like he has issues oh yeah and i think you know what we both didn't like how we texted each other like this locker room talk oh my gosh yes it set us up for the way that hockey and toxic masculinity and locker room talk and the pressure to win boys will be boys yes you must always fight never accept no Mm. that set us up for what the story was actually about. Truly. But when the hockey locker room talk first came out, we both were like, wait. I was scared for Frederick. I was like, I'm canceling him. Yeah, I was like, are you about to get canceled? We he, were so I was like, you are. And then it's made into an HBO show. So I'm thinking, how? Yeah. Like, this man must know. But then we obviously go on to see the toxic masculinity and sexism and so many really important topics set the ground for this story. Let's talk about Kira. First of all, I love that name and I love the way it's spelled with an I. Okay, Kira. But Go off, Queen. <laughs> but she is married to Peter, who is the the GM. General manager. Yes. And what a responsibility. No one's taking her seriously. She's struggling with feeling like she's not a good enough mother. She's a lawyer. Every time she goes to work, people are like, oh, she's a career woman. What is she doing? Why is she not at home? She gets shit on for going into the office. She goes to the office and gets so much shit, which reminds me of Lessons Chemistry. Shout out to Bonnie. Bonnie's like, ladies, leave me alone. Please. Why are these women getting shit for working? Uh, uh, Peter's never called a career man. No. That's not fair. I don't like that. And I love that she went to work anyways, but it sucks that it was at her detriment. Yeah. And I think that's what happens when we expect one thing of a woman, and then you feel like you're lacking in every other area. Totally. But I love Kira. I did too. And I really love their relationship, her and Peter. And when I found out that they lost their first baby, oh. it, it just like struck me so hard. I mean, I had no idea that was coming. And the responsibility that Peter felt because of that, it happened like on his watch, did it? Peter and Maya yes. as well. Because I yes. think Maya was born before. And I think she said something like the responsibility that comes with being a child. Mm. 
to two parents who have just lost a child. And you're like, why did I survive? And the pressure that she felt to make her parents proud. Maya was so special. And I think her parents were, they did the very best that they could given everything. I didn't like though. I think, I know that you make sacrifice. I mean, I say, no, like I'm married. I am married. Don Gabriel. (laughs) When are you going to figure it out? So I think you obviously make sacrifices in marriage, but I didn't like that Kira sacrificed a lot. She didn't want to go back to Beartown. I feel like she sacrificed so much mm-hmm. to the point where at the beginning she was almost resentful. And it was all about Peter. It was all about hockey. It was all about that. And I wish that didn't happen. I know that they love each other deeply, but there mm-hmm. still was that undertone of the man wins. I know in relationships that you have to take turns being selfless. She took a longer turn. She did take a longer turn. And I, I wish that Peter gave her more of a time to shine and do what she wanted. And I also wish he supported her a little bit more and not letting her feel like she was doing something wrong by going to work. Like she right. she felt guilty every morning that she left. Okay, so we love Kira. Who was your favorite character otherwise if you had to pick? Besides Amat and Kira, Benji. I could just oh, see him the way Benji. Frederick wrote his character with with his like kind eyes and his little smile. I just, it didn't match up to him like killing people basically on the hockey Oh my god, ice. I know. Him defending Kevin and being so loyal to Kevin. But I really loved so much Benji about has him. character. Benji he does have character. has character. And he smokes weed and he steals a moped and he rides to his sister's bar and his sisters are just so... They love him so much and his mother loves him so much. And, and even though his dad wasn't in his life because he died by suicide, Benji grows up to be this... Amazing man because that respects women and because he was raised because he was raised by women and I think at the end of the book we get more to that that. and we we really explore that but you know I do have to say though like it reminded me as as much as I love Benji this the theme of like if you are a star athlete you will get away with whatever Mm -hmm. I think that that perpetuated what happened next because that does happen with athletes like i can smoke weed i'm not going to be kicked off the team i can do this i can steal a moped you're almost untouchable as an athlete Mm -hmm. and he was untouchable because he protected kevin they said that kevin was the star player benji was so kevin was untouchable and then kevin was the insurance yeah yeah benji was untouchable and i don't like that because again it's hockey above everything and it's players above everything so if the player does something or the sport doesn't matter yeah, you're untouchable. And that contributes to sexual assault. And that massively contributes to what happens next. Yeah. And so what happens next is they train for the semifinal. Amok gets put in. It's amazing. And they win. Seeing Amok, I know seeing Amok get put in and the like the joy in his face when he does that assist. Like my but whole the heart. terror oh also. My God, He'd I know. never been so scared in his life. He's like, it was the best and worst day of my life. I love that. That is the anxiety though. And also, side note my OCD, like my magical thinking would play into my soccer. So I couldn't wear French braids. If I wore French braids, it meant I was going to have a bad game. And you know, at that point, it's, um, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I would be so anxious if I had on French braids that I would have a bad game, but that's kind of what it is. It can literally be the best and worst day of your life. You can be so anxiety ridden, but if you win, it's fucking everything. And you feel on top of the world. And this team did feel on top of the world. They won the semifinal. Oh my God. And And that meant they were getting money. That meant they were getting 
more sponsors. That meant they were getting this new rank in Academy. It meant everything. I mean, they said it meant they could get any girl they wanted. Anything was owed oh, to them. Oh, I hate that so, so then much. So after the game is when they go to the party at Kevin's house. So Kevin is the one who has the parties. And growing up, I was thinking about this. Did you have parties? I didn't have parties. No, my house was small. But it was always the kids who were rich and their parents were never in town that had the parties. And we would destroy their houses. Like, I'm thinking back to my friend in high school that had, like, she had a hot tub. She had a movie theater. She had you every go, single queen. party. You you freaking work. But her parents <laughs> Honey, weren't there a lot. Work, 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 work. And that is a really dangerous recipe for teenagers to be alone and drink for the first time and smoke weed for the first Wait, time. Wait, when did you drink for the first time? Oh, my God. I don't know if I You're like, I was, I was in the womb. No. I was still. I was a fetus. I actually, I was in high school. Okay, I was in high school, yeah. but I I never drank during high school. I want to say Uh-oh. I drank three times oh, in high that's... school, and the first was after a soccer game. It was no. at one of the girls' houses. I, I had ha- Sky no. Vodka. Ooh, I know. And I had my Ooh. first hangover that I didn't know was a hangover, and my sister picked me up. Did you throw up? No, but this is an iconic ending to my night. So my sister picked me up. The next morning I slept over. I made her take me to Wendy's. Oh, God. Jack in the box. Not, no. And McDonald's. Are you well? Are you on I was so are you on over. A tour? I wanted something from every... A fast food tour? Literally. What did you get? Do you remember? I definitely got egg rolls. It was like 10.30 in the morning. Egg rolls? French fries. Egg rolls? From Jack in the Box. I've never been to Jack in the Box. Oh, Box. I'm a Jack in the Crack girly. Jack in the Crack. Oh, I love. Okay, so your iconic I'm sister. I'm a Jack in the Box hoe. That's amazing. But they don't have them in New York City. They don't. Um, but I, I I, didn't know it was a hangover. Like, I realized it years later. Yeah. I just woke up and was like, I'm what the happened? F- what is wrong What's with me? Happening? Well, but at least you didn't throw up and you, like, were responsible. Oh, but cut to college. Oof. Henny. I peaked drinking in high school. That's when, uh, like, freshman, sophomore year is when I... I drank more in high school than I think... It was not great. I was a late bloomer because of soccer. So I got to... Well, mm. and also, alcohol was, like, the devil in my household. So Mm. you didn't drink it. I got to college. And I think if you don't teach your kids about alcohol, then it's it's always the ones whose parents were, like, never drink, thinking that they're doing something great for their children. I went to college and was a fucking maniac that's what happens though it's either like you go falling crazy out of cars. in high school or you go crazy in college oh girl my freshman year i went buck wild but we're gonna save those stories yeah we're gonna save our college stories this podcast is made possible by no cd no cd offers effective affordable and convenient ocd therapy no cd therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit nocd.com to book a free 15-minute call. Anyways, so, so sidetrack, but they have the party at Kevin's house. And they are teenagers and they have never had alcohol before. They've never been without parents. They might have had alcohol. Yeah, but but it's like one of the first times. Right. And their hormones are raging. And and oh, this reminds me, I hated, hated, hated before every game. The coach would say, yell out to the whole team in the locker room, what's the second coolest thing in the world? 
fucking. Ew. These are young boys. Ew. And then he would say, and what's the first coolest thing? Winning. Yes, bitch. That was hot. No, but David is their idol. Like, they look up to him so much. If he's saying this, then it it must be So it was fucking is the thing that you must do, and winning is the thing that you must do. Cut to what happens next. And by the way, I'm not saying... Again, I don't. I'm not blaming this on anything, and I actually really like what Ramona said when Soon said something like, I, "I really hope I didn't that hockey didn't do this to these boys." And Ramona said, "For fuck's sake, can a man take responsibility for fucking once? It wasn't the alcohol, it wasn't hockey, it wasn't the party. It was a man who fucking raped." Toxic masculinity being passed down through the generations. These yeah. older men of the president of the club passing it down to their kids, passing it down to the coach, passing it down to these high schoolers. And it was they weren't they? Maybe I'm not remembering this correctly, but weren't they? betting like i bet you could fuck any girl in this room yes, tonight. that's how it starts no oh, that's when i knew i thought i loved kevin in the beginning because he was such a hard worker and then that's when it all turned because he bet bo was a bobo he bet a hundred dollars that he could fuck maya oh and that's how it's so disgusting then kevin forces himself on her she says no and he tries to take her jeans off she says no again and then he starts to dig into her wrist and choke her so much that she loses consciousness and has bruises on her it's traumatizing it's so beyond traumatizing and the author did i was actually pleasantly surprised again there's nothing pleasant about sexual assault but the author touched on almost every aspect that i could think of in regard to sexual assault, how mm-hmm. it was then Maya's fault because she was drinking, because she willingly went into the room with him, because she X, Y, and Z. And the way the whole town villainized her and bullied her and spray painted her locker and wouldn't let her show up to school and throws a rock through her window. Pours milk she on her. She is the victim. And she is not allowed to step foot outside without being bullied in the most vicious way. And that is sadly how sexual assault mm. is for so many people. People want to try to blame anyone and anything but the perpetrator sometimes. It really reminds me of Brock Turner, mm. the swimmer at, I don't even, the fact that I'm even saying his name, but at Stanford who sexually assaulted Chanel Miller and the whole storyline was about how Brock was some promising young man and how his life got taken away and Brock's dad said something like I just look at my son and he's a shell of himself and it's all about how the perpetrator's life has changed and then people want to blame other things like Brock said something like I'm going to go to universities and I'm going to start doing presentations on drinking culture. And Chanel was like, fuck you. I will follow you to every single university that you go to. And I will do presentations about rape culture because you raped me. There were so many men at that party who were drinking that did not rape. Yeah. We, it's like people will try to blame anyone but the perpetrator. And then the victim is the one that is left with shame the victim is blamed the victim is not believed and we still see that happening and she maya wasn't believed and she said a part of her died one of the quotes that really really struck a chord was on 183 she said one of the things snatched from the girl that night is the place where she never needed to feel afraid she at that moment 
was always afraid of the dark, was always afraid something was just around the corner, out to get her. It's so devastating. And things that are supposed to be normal and joyful, like even things like sex, become so triggering and anxiety-provoking, and it's so fucked up. There's one line that, God, it, it hit me. It said, for the perpetrator, rape lasts a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. and for the victim, it lasts an entire lifetime. And she was suffering in silence because... Ultimately, she didn't want her parents and she didn't want her friends and family to hurt. I wrote down the quote. She said, if I talk, I'll be letting him hurt everyone I love as well. I wrote that down. And then another quote on page 236. What an uncomfortable, terrible source of shame. It is for the world that the victim is so often the one left with the most empathy for others. It just was so devastating that she's made her best friend swear that she wouldn't tell. And do you know what made Maya change her mind? This part made me actually cry. So she was like, I'm not going to say anything. I want to protect my family. I want to protect everyone. I want to protect the hockey team. And then she sees those three little girls <sighs> outside and she goes, I cannot let that happen to them. And again, it's so wild. The onus is now on her to yeah. make sure that she yeah. doesn't like the pressure that you feel when that happens now. And I remember Anna saying, which is true. Like if you don't tell, he's going to do it to someone else. So now it's on me mm. to have to talk about this. And she feels responsible for other people when she really should just be taking care of herself. The silence aspect of it, the I'm afraid to talk, but then I do speak up and I am ridiculed. I am bullied. It was the drinking. I was wanting to be famous. I'm a dumb bitch that no one would want to rape anyways. Oh my God. Nobody would call her by her name. They would just call her M or that girl. They poured milk on her. Ugh. And but then when they pour milk on her and Leo, her brother, comes and sits by her I know. at lunch. They were so sweet it's, together. It's, the victim obviously suffers so much more than the perpetrator, mm-hmm. and it's so fucked. And especially with this wealth in this town and how Kevin's yeah, parents I, I control down, everything. Money yeah. tries to buy silence. And yep, in 289, if enough people stand behind you, you can start to believe almost anything that comes out of your mouth yeah kevin was starting to believe that he didn't do it because yeah. his dad was like no you didn't and you're a winner and you're gonna keep going and we have a final and blah blah blah, blah and then blah. not only that tried to con- kevin's dad not only paid a mot but then tried to convince a mot that he didn't see what he saw and that everybody was drinking and when you're drinking things can get blurry and it reminds me so much of Harvey Weinstein paying mm-hmm. all of these women off. Money does buy silence. It's fucked up. It's not enough to just not do it. If you are staying silent as a man, you are part of yeah. the problem. Yeah. And a lot of these men Were. did stay silent. And Amat did for a second, but then I was so proud I of was him. happy, but I was disappointed that Amat didn't speak up sooner. Mm-hmm. And also, I could see the immense pressure that he felt to, quote-unquote, be loyal. And if he were to say something, he knew that his whole life was going to be ruined, too. How fucked up is that? Like, can we pause and look at how fucked up it is that if someone comes forward with evidence about a sexual assault, their life is going to be ruined? Yeah, because they're going against the team. They're going against... The boys club. Yeah, everybody who wants to believe that it didn't happen because... 
it's better for everyone's finances. It's better the, for the community. It's better for the boy. And that pissed me off. And it's better for the team. It all goes back. If this was any other player and it wasn't their star player, it would not have. But this was just because Kevin was the star hockey player. But you know what? Maybe it would have, you mm. know? Like, I think that maybe it wouldn't have been as drastic. But I think that if it were any of the players, like, maybe it would have been similar. Because they were on the hockey team, yeah. Right. And there was, I have to read this. I will not let myself not read this page 330 Anna was having a conversation with her father and her dad said something like they're just frightened they're looking for a scapegoat and Anna snaps Anna Maya's best friend 15 years old she yells why isn't Kevin the scapegoat then and she talks about how much she loves hockey but she's a girl so she can't love hockey and she says girls aren't allowed to like hockey even just a little bit in bear town Ideally, they shouldn't like it at all, because if you like the sport, you must be a lesbian. And if Mm. you like the players, you're a slut. Anna feels like pushing her neighbor up against the wall and telling him that the locker room where those boys sit telling their stupid jokes ends up preserving them like a tin can. It makes them mature more slowly, while some even go rotten inside. They learn that hockey only belongs to them, and their coaches teach them that girls are a distraction. So they learn that girls only exist for fucking. Gross. She wants to point out how all the old men in this town praise them for fighting and not backing down, but not one single person tells them that when a girl says no, it means no. And the problem with this town is not only that a boy raped a girl, but that everyone is pretending that he didn't do it. So now all the other boys will think that what he did was okay. That may be the most important the most passage, important passage of, the of the entire book. book. That sums up the yeah. entire thing. Male toxicity, toxic masculinity, silence and how they were raised yeah yeah, to believe that fucking and fighting and winning were the most important thing and women were to be owned and women were objects to be discarded yeah and i really liked the other aspect this touched on in regard to sexual assault was peter was looking at his daughter maya and thought to himself she'll survive this i know she will and that's what makes me the most sad because everyone will just think that this is okay (sighs) how normalized sexual assault is when maya said she said one of us has to die she said one of us meaning her or kevin what did you think was going to happen so the book starts with a shotgun being held to someone's head and a trigger being pulled but it doesn't say if someone dies it doesn't say who it is it doesn't say if they're male or female but you're thinking about that's the whole book book. that's how the book started i forgot okay i was thinking it's so funny that you say that because i was reading the like description, and it was like someone brings a gun yeah. to a hockey fight. You and I was, sent me a photo of this page when we first started reading. Okay, walked into the forest, pulled yeah. the trigger. Ah, uh, okay, so the well, whole I time, forgot that. Oh my god, the whole book, I'm like, who's gonna die? Who's gonna die? Who's gonna die? Oh. So you literally have very different experience. But, well. So, like, the whole time, I'm like, who is gonna die? And Maya says, it's either her or Kevin. Who did you think it was going to be? I initially thought she was going to take her own life but then i was like no she's gonna get back at kevin and then i I just couldn't decide what was gonna happen and it really surprised me what she did she put the gun to his head and scared the shit out of him and made him pee himself he was so scared and said good i am going to make you so scared of the dark so that he will always be looking behind his shoulder and she didn't get even and she didn't get justice but she got something i saw that question in the back like do we think that maya got justice there's never fucking justice There isn't. She's never going to get back what was taken from her. Never. Okay, so I was clearly confused. <laughs> I was, like, trying to... Because I, I just remember reading in the description, like, someone brings a gun to a, a hockey match. So after the final, 
And after the semifinal, I'm thinking, like, I must have read this description wrong. Like, there wasn't a gun. So I wasn't at all thinking about who was going to die. Oh I was God. trying to figure out why I read that there was a gun. There oh, my God. Allegra literally missed, like, you're like 450 pages in. She's like, there. oh. You're like, like, I didn't read. Uh, I read a different book. I, I was reading I read Lion Town. No, so. quite literally. So I actually just knew that she wasn't going to kill him. I just mm. knew that Maya didn't have it in her. Kira now. Kira. Oh, gosh. We all need a mom like Kira. I stand. Went to fucking bat for her daughter. Was like, I will kill for my daughter. Said that she wishes that she had been a lawyer for sexual assault cases instead. And then the kids throw the brick or whatever through her window. And Kira takes her car Go and off, rams Kira. into their bicycles. What was beautiful about that, The Kira is a badass mom. Her and Maya's relationship really was so stunning. But, oh, it was sweet, but made me sad. But made me sad because Maya was parenting her mom a lot of the time. I noticed that too. I, that was the part about the assault that it made me sad. And I think it actually does happen, but mm. she was comforting her mom yeah. so much of the time. And it's like, mom, I get that you're suffering, but, but your is, daughter yeah. it happened to is suffering. Yeah. Like you can't show her that yeah. suffering. Yeah. By all means, go to therapy. By all means, talk to other people. But when you're hysterically sobbing in front of your daughter who has just been assaulted then your daughter feels like they can't show their pain. Then your daughter feels like they are responsible. So that, I love that you brought that up because I was a little bit thrown off by how much Maya had to take care of her mom. Yeah, it bothered me because she should be focusing only on healing herself. And of course, the mom is impacted. No one ever wants to see their daughter or their child go through that. But Maya already felt so bad about talking about this. You know what we didn't touch on? This just popped into my mind. I want to touch on more. And again, this is not an excuse. I'm not at all excusing men. But the pressure that the boys felt to have sex. And how that is a part of toxic masculinity. Bobo was pressured. Mott was pressured. Do you think that that played a role at all? 100% it played a role. It was... Your masculinity was tied to how many people you had sex with. And again, it's not an excuse at all. Like, Kevin raped the other people didn't. No. But they were taught that. And then Bobo talks to his dad. Bobo. I know, Bobo. Okay, I have a soft spot for Bobo, too, because he was fat. And people are so fucking mean to fat people. They really are. God, they were horrible to him. I know. But then he tells his dad he wants to wait until marriage. I know. He's so sweet. And what really made me happy about the end of this book was so many things were... They weren't righted, but you could tell they were on the journey of making things better. Like, they were going to have a girls' hockey team now, and they were going to do martial martial arts arts to teach women how to defend themselves. Which, again, oh, I hate that we have to do that. I know, but but this town was so far one way. They're making baby steps. We're trying to change this, like, generational bullshit that they're all... It's like a it's like a disease. And who was it who I'm gonna I, I'm definitely not remembering this character's name, but walks in and it might have been Tails. His son makes a rape joke and he hears it. This is after <gasps> the assault. Yes, I love this part because then he decides that he He decided that he was staying in Beartown. Yeah. He was not gonna follow Kevin. Kevin. Because, oh, 
we haven't talked about this. Kevin got off scotch-free. There yeah. wasn't enough quote-unquote evidence as if her bruises, as if yeah. the cuts, as if someone actually witnessing Kevin raping her wasn't enough. And like, her at the doctor, at the hospital, and yeah. and them asking her these questions over and over again and not believing her. Yeah, and he got off, so he got to play for the head team. And so Tails decides in that moment I when his that. son makes a rape joke and the dad lost And he's it. like, I'm not going because I'm teaching my son like that's not okay. That's not appropriate. And I think that is where the change begins. That's where the change started. And, and I, that's the change that has to happen. Yeah. We can't just allow locker room talk. And at the beginning... David was thinking to himself, like, yeah, it went a little bit too far, but, you know, it is just a joke after all. It's not just a fucking joke. It's not a joke. It's not. And then they were making so many gay jokes, and our boy Benji, Benji. is a sweet gay and boy. And then David, he was like, oh, my dad didn't like gay people, and he always was very homophobic. And I was scared that Frederick, again, was homophobic. Oh, I was too, because he, he was, was like, I'm disgusted. Yeah, he disgusted, but then he lets us know that he's, <gasps> he's disgusted, disgusted that himself. he didn't do better. And he didn't. Benji didn't feel safe enough with his father figure David to come out to him. Benji had to hold this in. Yeah, his whole he said life. something like, "I've known this, I've known this boy for fifteen years, yeah. and I didn't make him feel comfortable enough to open up to me. Like I have failed." Yeah, these men are just like, "Wow, we have failed in I so many ways." I love the gay storyline. I know. I love the the bass. I love player. them kissing wow. on the ice rink. So cute. So this is an HBO show. I was just thinking of like who would play each part. I haven't seen it yet. Have I you? haven't seen it either. I don't know who plays Benji's part, but I'm like thinking of like different people. You know, the first person that comes to my mind is that guy from, ugh, I don't know anyone's names. You watched 13 Reasons Why? Oof, that show was awful. Yeah, it's not great. But I don't like there, that. There's a boy from that that would be great in that role. I don't remember. I only remember the lead. I'm picturing... Eighth grade emo, black hair, bangs, even for boys, you know, like the yes. bangs over one yes. eye. I'm getting that from Benji. I'm getting like, where's all black? I'm getting, I'm getting emo from Benji. You didn't get that. No, I didn't get that. It's I got, interesting how we picture characters differently. I got like puppy dog, like blue eyes, brown hair. Like, oh, we were, we had the opposite Benji's <laughs> because they said all the girls loved him. And so I just thought, and he, he was, never like, loved the girls. He didn't give a shit about the ladies. Oh, and Benji was the real one through and yeah. through when Maya <gasps> punched the mirror. Yes, Maya punched the mirror. We're holding, we're hands. holding hands because we love this part. And then and Benji rushes other. in and destroys the bathroom so that the teachers and no one will know that Maya is the one that did it because she had to get her anger out. And you know, Benji, and this is where I really respect Benji because again, like you said, it's not just enough to not rape. If a man knows that that has happened, like it is your duty and your job to say something. Benji ended his entire relationship with Kevin over that. Yeah. And that was really, really big. And he was Huge. the first one. And I thought was going to be the only one to say this is not fucking acceptable. And, the, and he did it through and through. And the way Kevin reacted, he's like, we've given you everything. You're a charity case. So like, disgusting. So gross. And the way at the end, when they say 10 years later, that Maya sees Kevin in the parking lot and Kevin's married. and Oh, that disgusted me. I'm like, that wife. Ugh. Yeah, but Maya's like playing guitar and like selling out stadiums or whatever. And that made me cry. But she, she let Kevin go and was like, okay. She shouldn't, no one should have to do that. And then he says, and I tell my wife everything. Oh, honey, mm. I pray 
No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, will yeah. never be me. Yeah. That is a big yikes. And like, how do you live with yourself the rest of your life knowing like you are a fucking sociopath if you're able to like delude yourself into believing that that was not problematic. He's a sad man, and there are sad men out there, and Ugh. don't love Kevin. Don't love him. So, at all. what are your feelings about hockey after reading this? Are you a sports girl, or are you only a stage girl? I'm a sporty, sporty, sporty you girl. Are so no, I'm kidding. I do understand the feeling. Like, I love Ted Lasso. I love Friday Night Lights. Oh, I've like, never seen Ted Lasso or Friday Night Lights. Are you kidding me? God. I don't watch TV. I read, Ooh. hence why we're here. I worry. I have so much you to teach you guys. You worried about Pamela Anderson, and now you're worried about me. I'm worried about... This is iconic. Anyway, I like feeling like you're part of a team, even when you're not on it, and I understand why people love sports, and I understand the feeling of like being in the moment and like everything disappears and stuff like that. But Oh, yeah, because you probably get that acting. Yeah, yeah, I get that while I'm acting. Like It's a meditation. Everything goes away. You have to be exactly with everything that's happening in each breath, in each moment, especially... But do you get nervous? Like, does it impact your mental health? Are you anxious? Oh, I love it. No, it makes me so happy. That's wild. You I don't ever it. get nervous before auditions? I get nervous, of course, but I before, when I'm there, it is just me doing the thing. And that's why I love it so much. Give me your most devastating audition story. Oh, God. I have so many. But there's one when I first moved to the city out of college. It was for, like, a, one of my first Broadway auditions, and... I had this dress on that was so gorgeous and it was striped and the buttons were a little too tight and I did this big last note. I was singing this song and I belted and my freaking dress came unbuttoned and (laughs) my boob popped out. I'm obsessed And I I don't know if they saw it because I like grabbed it and I like ran, but it was mortifying. Mortifying. Not only do you get me, you get my left tit. Left titty. Can't quitty. Oh, I auditioned for musical theater. I love that. What did you Wait, audition we were for? Polar opposite. Oh, I didn't get in. Let that be known. Well, I didn't babe. play sports, so there you go. Let that be known. I was devastated. I went in. I had to sing. I think I sang unwritten. But it was Wait, guys. Olivia, you must sing. You must sing like a a note. Stare. Keep going, keep going. At the blank page before you. I was so sorry. Let the sun illuminate the words that you cannot Okay, okay. Everyone get your lighters out. Anyone want to sign Olivia? Oh, I also tried to sing Beauty and the Beast, the musical, and I didn't, I either didn't get cast or I got like the fucking teacup. I got like the little person part. Oh, Miss But I don't mean like, I mean like. Yeah, I understand. I got like the tiny part. The tiny, yeah. It, I was, it was my dream. It was not coming to fruition. Your dream could still happen. You're in New York City, baby. I would never, ever. I do not desire that. Okay, well, stay tuned. Allegra's about to be on Broadway. I'm- so I'm coming to you from Pretty Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I am now Julia Roberts. Keith was listening to our episode where you say your favorite musicals. <laughs> Pretty Woman. It was. Okay. I'm sorry. You said you've seen best. one musical. Oh no no no! I saw I saw Pretty Woman. Oh, I saw uh, POTUS. POTUS is the best. Okay, that and was my the my good friend best. produced that, lie. and oh my god! It's so so I saw, I've seen POTUS. I've seen Phantom of the Opera. I've seen Pretty Woman. Amazing. And I also saw the Book of Mormon in L.A. and I really liked that. I mm-hmm. do want to see Dear Evan Hansen, but I really wanted to see it when Ben Platt was in it. Yes. Um, but yeah, a Pretty Woman was iconic. Okay. That's my favorite movie. I'm very happy for you, Allegra. So, Allegra, if you could rate 
this book out of five stars, what would you give it? At first, it was getting like a three and a half. By the end, five out of five. Wow. I know. I was actually gripped. Oh, and let's also tell the sad girls, we read this in like two days. Oh my God, we did. Because we're doing a book a week, which is absurd, but Allegra insists. And this is small print, and it's 400 30 pages. This was really like a 600 page book. Yeah, we literally read, I read for like 20 hours. I read hours. to the point where I I had no brain power. No, no. And then the cherry on top was that we get to our recording on Wednesday night uh-huh. after we just, I mean, I'm talking like I had read probably 200 pages that yeah. day okay. and the microphone didn't work so we couldn't record. Yeah. So that was really amazing. What would you rate it? I would rate it 4.8. Eight. Okay, wait, I didn't know we could do point eight. Okay, well you can you can edit yours, but I would do four point eight. I loved everything about it. I loved everything it touched on. I loved the journey it took me on. I love that it surprised me. I thought the writing was stunning. I think he's such a good writer and he really paints that photo and I thought each character was fleshed out in such a beautiful way and I I'm in love with all of them, like, except Kevin. The writing. The writing. I love when he would start the paragraphs with, there was a girl sitting in her bed with her guitar. Just such a beautiful way to write. So simple and so engaging. I love Frederick. We should read another one. Yeah, we should. Okay, you're right. Maybe not five. I would give it 4.8. Okay, we both agree on 4.8. I didn't think that we could do 0.8s. You can do whatever you want. This is your time to shine. This is my moment. Okay. And let us know what you thought about the book, Sad Girls. So... Yeah, we want this to be, like, interactive. Eventually, we want to have in-person chats with y'all, but let us know on in our comments, comments on our Instagram. on Instagram, Sad Girls Who Read. Follow us on TikTok, Sad Girls Good Books. Yes, because we're just getting started, y'all. We have so much exciting stuff to share with you. Stay tuned for our next book. Yes. I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And my middle name's Rebecca, so. Oh, your middle name's Rebecca? I didn't it know is, that. yeah. Aaron Rebecca. Aaron Rebecca Comer. Guess my middle name. Allegra Badass Bitch. Oh, that should be my middle name. We have to talk about how I got my first name. What is your middle name? Nicole. I was I was supposed to be James the Third. I was supposed to be Ryan. (laughs) I was a boy until I came out and they were like shit. My parents thought I was a boy. My parents thought I was a boy. The umbilical cord was in the way. Oh my god. For me, the was your umbilical cord in the way? I don't know. Okay, so my umbilical cord was in the way. It looked like a penis, so I was literally <laughs> James the third. Otherwise known as Trey, which now my younger brother is. But I came out with my little pussy was popping, and they were like, What? Wait. And so they didn't know what to name me, and they just heard Allegra, like one of the nurses oh, called uh, like her daughter Allegra and they were just like I guess like that's it my name was Rebecca until right before I was born and then my cousin's like no I like Aaron better my mom's like okay and thank god because I like Aaron better you're an Aaron you're not a Rebecca I'm, so, I'm not I'm a sorry. Becky I don't mean to like any shade to Rebecca's but, but Rebecca's can be uppity but not the one who wrote the no, book but we love Rebecca the other wait you were a boy <laughs> I was a boy I was Ryan Harris Ryan Harris I'm gonna call you Ryan <laughs> wait what is yours again James the third <laughs> James the third <laughs> so sad girls who read featuring ryan and james the james the third and ryan harris we are signing off and we love you sad we girls love you. bye sad girls thank you so much for listening be sure to rate us five stars on apple podcast and spotify and subscribe and follow our show it's the way that we can get the word out about our sad girl podcast and more sad girls can find their community and if you'd like to Follow us on other platforms. We're on Instagram at Sad Girls Who Read and TikTok at Sad Girls Good Books. We love you, Sad Girls!